Hey everybody and welcome back to the Macro Compass. Here is another episode of our macro education series, which is a primer on currency fundamentals and the FX market. The FX market is one of the biggest and most liquid in the world, and fluctuations in currency valuations also greatly affect investors' portfolio. If you're a U.S. investor and you're buying Japanese equities, you will be inherently exposed to the Japanese yen too. So let's try to make sense of FX moves and valuations, trying to cover together the most important fundamentals and drivers of these currency valuations. Have a look at the table at page one of the article and try to picture that we're walking into an energy crisis with a tight Fed policy and a roaring dollar, just like at the end of 2022. And back then, you wanted to rank global currencies against the dollar. That's what the table at page one does, or actually it did. It did that based on indicators we're going to discuss together to analyze effects fundamentals. The first indicator is the current account balance. The current account balance measures whether the value of goods and services exported by a country exceeds or it's lower than the value of its imports. If the value exports exceeds the imports, then it's a surplus, otherwise it's a deficit. Now, due to higher energy prices back then, dysfunctional supply chains and a deglobalization push, currencies that heavily relied on cheap imported energy and strong exports actually suffered the most, euro, the sterling, and the Japanese yen, for instance. Instead, it was countries with a stable current account surplus, for instance, Switzerland, that they export more than they import. And that means they accumulate more FX reserves that they can use at that point in time to stabilize their own currency. A good indicator to keep track of current account balance in these developments is the so-called terms of trade, which is the ratio between the price of exports and the price of imports. The higher the terms of trade, the better for the currency. The chart at page two shows how, in September last year, as soon as the terms of trade for the euro improved, the euro started performing better against the dollar. At the end of page two, you can find data where you can get yourself and you can follow current account balances in terms of trade for different countries. The second indicator I want to discuss with you is net foreign exchange reserves. They represent the country's war chest to stabilize their domestic currency against sharp devaluations. The larger this war chest, the easier it is to stop the bleeding. Let's go back again to September 2022 and reflect on the Japanese yen. When the Japanese yen was under pressure and trying to breach $150, it was aggressive sales of these dollars from the Japanese net effects reserves war chest that actually discouraged sellers to proceed further and stopped the bleeding in the yen. Now, if Japan exports more than it imports, the country accumulates FX reserves, which it invests in safe and liquid securities like U.S. Treasuries. That is easy to understand. When running this analysis, watch out for the net part of the net FX reserves, though, because Japan can also borrow U.S. dollars through FX derivatives or the repo market, and these borrowed U.S. dollars actually offset the available FX reserves. So what you're interested in is the net FX reserves a country has. And in general, the bigger the net FX reserves war chest is, the more positive for the domestic currency. 
The best way to tally up foreign exchange reserves is by comparing them to months worth of imports. So back in September, when speculators were attacking the Japanese yen, I made analysis that showed that Japan could cover one and a half years worth of imports by selling its net FX reserves down. So the war chest was incredibly large. You can find data on FX reserves at the link in the article. For the net numbers, unfortunately, you'll have to dig yourself into each central bank website to try and find offsetting foreign reserves liabilities and net them out. So far, we talked about goods and services, imports and exports. But our world is not only goods and services, it's also highly financialized. So the flow of financial assets and liabilities matters a lot. That's what the net international investment position actually tracks. There is an interesting chart in the article, and I'm going to ask you to go and find the outlier for the most negative net international investment position. Not difficult to find. That's the United States. But be careful extrapolating too much from this metric alone. As the provider of the reserve currency of the world, the US will always have foreign countries investing in US treasuries, in US equities, to a larger extent than US investors export capital abroad. That will cause the net interest, uh, the, the net international investment position to be negative. Over 70% of global trades are denominated in dollar, so these hard-earned dollars from foreign countries are recycled back into US asset markets and they contribute to a negative NIIP. Nevertheless, apart from the US story, it's important to remember that countries with a negative NIIP are net financial debtors towards the world, and hence their domestic currencies are more vulnerable to financial shocks. There is also a link in the article that shows where to track and study NIIP data. What about fiscal policy and debt? When it comes to currency fundamentals, one of the key concepts to understand is that despite getting a lot of mediatic attention, government debt denominated in domestic currency is much less of an issue than private debt or foreign currency denominated debt. It's much easier for a sovereign country to service a big amount of its own government debt denominated in its own currency. So Japan has been doing that for decades, despite the large load of government debt, than it is to service foreign currency denominated debt. China, for instance, cannot print US dollars. Or for households to handle mortgage debt during a housing crisis. So private debt is also more vulnerable than government debt. Therefore, look for external debt vulnerabilities and trends in private sector debt. I also put there an article to try and make you guess what is the where you can find the most indebted households in the world. Having a look at the chart will actually show you some interesting countries. You can find data on external debt and private sector debt in links that are also available in the article. Policymakers' credibility is also another important driver of FX valuations. If politicians and central bankers do not set credible policy objectives and do not show commitment to reach them, investors are going to be reluctant to invest in their countries. This is why before actually achieving 2% inflation and retaining credibility, the Fed isn't going to change the inflation target from 2 to 3% anytime soon. That's not an option unless credibility is retained and inflation actually gets to 2% first. 
Credibility is the biggest asset of a policymaker. So in general, it's a good practice to invest in FX whose policymakers are highly credible. The reason why I didn't mention so far interest rate differentials is that they tend to matter more for short-term FX moves than as a structural fundamental of currency valuations. But yes, rapid changes in rate differentials can have a relevant impact on short-term FX fluctuations. The last chart in the article is extremely telling. It is the difference in rates between the US and Japan plotted against dollar JPY. It is basically the same chart. This was it for today's macro education series. An announcement that you might find interesting is that I am considering launching my macro investment fund. If you find the idea interesting, feel free to reach out at fund at themacrocompass.com. And always remember, guys, that the best trade out there is to stay long macro education. I'll talk to you very soon again.